Last week, Doug started the series on family, and he did such an awesome job talking about dads. And what he started off by saying was that we have this picture, you know, and it looks good, and it's pretty, and it's together. And if we think that that's what family is like, we just don't really have reality because families aren't picture perfect. There are no perfect families and there are struggles and there are problems that we work through together. And we're praying that through this series that we would be encouraged as husbands, as wives, as mothers and fathers and parents in the room. And let me just start out by saying, because I get to talk about motherhood tonight and I'm so privileged to be able to stand here and do that, that being a mother is amazing and it's incredible and it is really, really hard. And I knew that going in. But what I didn't know is that about seven years into my little girl being born, that she would learn a new language. And that I, as her mother, would have to learn this language. Because she didn't learn it from me. She definitely didn't learn it from her father. But her new language includes words like totes. Has anyone ever said that in this room? <laughs> Apparently that means totally. Um, she says things like cray-cray, which is, I guess, so crazy. Not just crazy, so crazy. And whatevs. And she's seven, and you would think that she's 17, but she's not. And so I have to learn these words. But you know what I found out a week ago? Is that although I need to know them, it is so not cool for me to use them. <laughs> so I said to Bryn, oh my gosh, Bryn, that is so totes cool. And she looks back and she goes, what evs, mom? What evs? But being a mother is hard. Tomorrow I am driving my five-year-old baby and dropping him off at kindergarten and leaving for the first time. And my heart is just wrenching because of that. If you see me crying after church in the back, just know that that is why. He said to me, um, why can't I just go back to the day I was born? That way I'll have all these years with Mama again. And I was like, oh. But he's excited and he's good. And I can't imagine how you moms in the room who recently dropped off your child at college and drove away felt. I mean, I am so glad that I still have another 10 years before that happens. But mothering, there are ups and there are downs. It is exhausting and it is rewarding. When my children were little, I never slept. I have a cousin who gave me a lot of wisdom. She said, you know what? You're never going to sleep. Because when you're little, they're little, you don't sleep because they wake you up. But when they're older, you don't sleep because you're thinking and praying about them. There are few things that will bring us to our knees in desperate prayer like being a mother will. And I think that all of us moms in the room, whether you're a Christian here or not, even future moms, even you girls who are listening to me and you're not a mom but you know you want to be someday, I think that we could all agree that we have the same goal. And that goal is that we just want to be a good mom. And so the question for us is, what does that look like? What does that mean to be a good mom? And the truth is that we as mothers can be so hard on ourselves. And the reason why is that we make that measurement as to whether we're a good mom in a way that we were never intended to. You see, what we tend to do is we decide that we are a good mother on the basis of what other mothers are doing. We compare, and we look at them. And in the days of Pinterest, although I like Pinterest and Facebook, we have this mindset that in order to be a good mom, we need to be super mom. 
And Supermom is the mom whose house is always perfect. She makes her own soap. She knits her kids' clothes. She cooks five-course meals, scrapbooks every day of her child's life all before they get home from school that day. And I'm not saying that these are bad things. I think these are good things. And I think that as moms, we should try to find ways to serve our family in these ways. But at the end of the day, is this the measure of what it means to be a good mom? Because if it is, if that is the measure, then the problem is is when we are not able to do these things all the time, which we won't, or when other mothers do some of these things better than you, which they will, we'll feel inadequate, and we'll feel like we're not doing a good job. If it's not other mothers that we compare ourselves with, we measure if we're a good mom by comparing our kids with other kids. A big one is behavior, that we look at the way that other kids are behaving, maybe at church, maybe in a store, and we come to the conclusion if we are doing a good job or not based on what our kids are doing. Have you ever been that mom at the supermarket whose kids are throwing a tantrum because they didn't get what they wanted? I have (laughs) a lot of times. But in that moment, you feel like you're the only one. We compare how well they do in school with how their peers are doing. We compare their athletic ability with how the other kids on the team are. You know, some of the scariest moms I have ever met in my life, I promise you, were on the baseball field. Because so much of their worth as a mother depended on how well their kids did. And when their five-year-old kid missed the ball, they lose it and they have a fit because it is a reflection of them as a mother and how well they are doing. You know, we compare in some of the silliest ways. Have you ever been in a conversation, moms, where someone is saying, you know, my child, they crawled at nine months. And then the other mom's like, oh, that's great. You know, mine, they crawled at six. And the other mom's like, mine just called right out of the womb. We just, we just right into the nursery. But we do this comparison things. And whether we're comparing ourselves with other moms or we're comparing our kids with other kids, the end result is the same, is that we will be burnt out trying to be what we can't be, super mom. Or we will be discouraged. Because you know what? Your kids are not going to be perfect. They're not always going to be the most well-behaved, or get the highest grades. But what it comes down to it is, are these things what makes a good mom or not? Well, I think Scripture shows us that it's not. That the Scripture gives us a different picture of what it looks like to be a good mom. And that's what we're going to look at tonight. And I'm going to warn you that what we're talking about tonight is not the world's standards of what it means to be a good mom. You know what? I don't want the world's standards. Because honestly, I don't think the world values mothers the way that the Bible does. You see, more and more in our culture that you and I live in, motherhood is demoted to this lesser role of things that women can be doing with their time. But you know what? You never, ever find that attitude towards mothers in Scripture. From the very beginning to the very end, mothers are honored. And you know what? Even more important, our mothers are shown the incredible potential that we have to influence our children. And so that's why we want to look at the scriptures tonight. But before we get into the verse, here's what I know going into a message like this, that for some of you in the room, this topic is a painful one. 
For some of you, sitting and listening to a message about moms is hard for you. And maybe that's because you haven't had a great mom. You haven't had a mom that you felt like really loved you and accepted you and showed you compassion. Or maybe you're the mom in the room, and right now you have a strained relationship with your child, and it is just breaking your heart. Or maybe you're in this room tonight, and just hearing the word mother brings a pain to your heart because you've struggled with infertility. There's encouragement for you tonight. And I'm asking you to just hang in with me through the scriptures. Now, for you who are like, you know what, I'm not going to be a mom. I'm never going to be a mom because I'm a man. And why should I listen to you tonight? Well, I'm going to tell you that what we see in these verses has very, very much to do with the way that you impact and influence other people in your life. That I'm talking specifically about mothers to children, but it doesn't just have to be mothers to children tonight. And if you're tonight and you're not a Christian, we're glad that you're here, and we hope that you feel welcome tonight. And I want you to know that what I have to say to you, what God has to say to you, is just as important as it is for anybody else who's here tonight. So we're going to be looking at some verses in 2 Timothy, beginning in chapter 3. And to give you background, Paul is writing this to Timothy. Um, Timothy was a partner in ministry. Timothy was like a spiritual son to Paul. And this is what Paul says to him. He gives him this warning. And it says this in verse 1. But mark this. There will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of God, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. And you know what? This sounds like the generation that our children are growing up in. I remember when I was a teenager, I had uh, youth leaders, a husband and wife, And I remember them always saying that they never wanted to have kids. And as a 16-year-old girl, I couldn't understand that. Why would you not want to have kids? Babies are so cute. Didn't understand all the things that went into it, but babies are so cute. And what they would say was, I don't want to bring them into this kind of world. This world is too hard. I'm scared as to how they'll turn out. And they made that decision to not have kids based on fear. But you know what the truth is? Is that... That list in those verses is how every single one of us in this room would be without Jesus. But because of his grace, we are not like those in those verses. We have been changed. And so we don't have to fear bringing kids into this world. Timothy stood out in his generation. Now, his generation, I'm sure, had many of those descriptions. But I think one of the things that marked his generation was religious self-righteous. And he stood out as somebody who, in humility, his heart was completely God's. And so we have to ask the question, well, what was different about Timothy? What was different about this young man? Let's skip down to verse 14. And Paul is saying to Timothy, but as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of, because you know those from whom you learned it. And how, from infancy, you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. And so what was different about Timothy? From the time that he was a small child, he was taught the word of God. By who was he taught? 
Well, these verses don't tell us, but Paul clues us in earlier in 2 Timothy, and we're going to look at that verse. So we're going to turn to 2 Timothy 1, verse 5. And it says this, I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I'm sure dwells in you as well. So Timothy was taught the scriptures by his mother and by his grandmother. And what I want to say to you mothers here tonight is that the Great Commission, the call to share the gospel and tell people about Jesus begins within our home. It begins with our own children. What a tragedy it would be if we spent more time talking with others about Jesus than we did our own children. What a tragedy it would be if we spent more time trying to teach our children to be good and follow the rules than we did in teaching them that they need a Savior and that apart from Him they have no hope. We need to be more concerned with the condition of their hearts than their GPA, than if we spend all day in the kitchen baking special things for them. You know, I don't care how good your brownies are, it is not going to change their life. But what is going to change your children's lives is for them to know Jesus. And you know what it said in those verses? That he more than just learned it, he became convinced of it. And all of us moms in the room, wouldn't you agree that that's what you want for your children? That you want them more to just hear it? You want them more to just learn or memorize it? You want them to become convinced of it. So convinced of it that when they leave your home and they go off to college or they get a job and they are bombarded by atheism, because they will, and when they're bombarded by an apathetic attitude towards God, and they will, that they will stand firm in the truth of what they learned, knowing from who it is that taught them. You and I, as mothers, teaching them about Jesus. Robert Ingersoll was a famous skeptic in the 1800s. And in a lecture, he tried to tear apart Christianity. And college students, I'm sure that you have experienced that. If you haven't yet, hold on to your seats because you're going to experience that. And two young college guys who went to hear him walked out of the meeting together. And one said to the other one, wow, he really just knocked the props out from under Christianity. And the other one said, no, he didn't. He said, he did not explain my mother's life. And until he can explain my mother's life, I'm going to stand by my mother's God. And here is where I have to really press this point in. That I think that it has to be more than taught, I think it has to be displayed for them. You see, I think that that's what Timothy's mother and grandmother did. And maybe you're thinking, well, Kelly, where do you get that in those verses? Well, let's go back and look at it again. And it says this, I'm reminded of your sincere faith. That same faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I'm sure dwells in you. Another translation to sincere in this verse is genuine. An even better translation that I loved is unfeigned. That's a great word. I'm going to start using that word. Unfeigned means something that is sincerely expressed. And faith that is genuine, and this is for all of us, everybody hear me tonight, faith that is sincere 
is more than just talked about, it's lived. And when it's lived, it will be observed, observed by the people that are around you. It will be observed by your children when, when your faith is real. And so moms, on one hand, we need to teach them the word of God. And the point of teaching them the word of God is not to memorize scripture. It's to teach them Jesus, the God of the word. But on the other hand, let's display for them the worth of the one that we're teaching them about. I think this is so important because kids will look at you, and I don't care if they're two or they're 42, and they know and they see what you enjoy. They know and they can tell what you treasure, what you value, what is of great worth to you. Many of you here know that my husband, Doug, is obsessed with Dr. Pepper. Um, a few years ago on Christmas, I opened up a doc- bottle of Dr. Pepper, not even for myself, it was for him, and it exploded all over me. And he looked at me and said, this is the most attractive I've ever been to you. <laughs> I am not sure still what I think a wedding day, um, I don't know, but I mean, he just really loves Dr. Pepper. Our children know how much he loves Dr. Pepper. A few weeks ago, Landon brought him a bottle of Dr. Pepper. Now he's five, okay? In the creepiest little voice, he said, you want your precious daddy? (laughs) They know it. They see it. He doesn't go out of his way to talk about it. It flows out of him. He enjoys it. I mean, when we have no Dr. Pepper in the house, like, what's dad going to do? Now, I don't really like Dr. Pepper that much. It's, it's okay. Sorry, babe. It's not the best. But coffee is a different story. You know, I've got one eye barely open in the morning, and I'm like, coffee. I'm like going through the directions for the Kerrig. I'll fill the water, open the top, wait for the blink, put it in. Clo- I am ready for coffee the second I wake up in the morning. And my kids know that. I've made my affections known. Now, what is my point? My point is that all three of my children have wanted to taste coffee and Dr. Pepper because they see how much we enjoy it. Now, he won because they all like Dr. Pepper and they don't really like coffee, but whatever. Life will change when they get to college and they need to stay awake. But the point is, is that if they see what you enjoy and what you consider valuable and precious, they're going to want to taste and see. And the Word of God tells us taste and see that He is good, that He satisfies, that there's nothing and that there's no one else like Him. I heard this week about a woman missionary and she was in this other country, and she's walking along the streets. And it was this day where everybody was worshiping their gods, little G. And she sees a woman on her knees of the streets, and she is loudly, and she is publicly worshiping something. And she can't tell what it was. And as she got closer, she was a little surprised to see that what she was worshiping was a pile of cow manure. And she had gone out of her way to set up flowers around this pile, and she, I mean, just loudly and and publicly without shyness or any kind of abandonment just worshipped this pile of poop. How much more? I mean, this lady's affections were very displaced, but how much more should we publicly and without 
any kind of abandonment, show for our children, put on display the worth of the one who saved us, who died for us, who gave his life so that we could know him. Moms, we need to show our children. Because you know what? If they see us bored and miserable with the things of God, I think they're going to pick that up. But if they see that there is nothing and that there is no one more valuable in your life than Jesus, then their hearts are going to be moved by that. Now here's the thing. Is we can't fake it. We can't pretend that we have joy in Christ if we don't. We can't pretend that he's our biggest treasure if he is not. Kids are too smart for that. Um, the last two weeks of August, we were on vacation, and a big part of our vacation is going on my father-in-law's boat. Now, I love my father-in-law, but I don't like his boat, <laughs> and I never will. And I go on it because my kids love it, and I'm in the back of the boat, like holding on for dear life. My nutty husband's driving, <laughs> and I'm like, I can't stand this. And the kids look at me, and I'm like, yay, this is fun. And they all know I can't stand it because you can't fake it. And so, moms, our faith that Jesus is our treasure needs to be real. And so one of the best things that we can do as moms is to nurture our own faith and to continue to grow in our love and our adoration for Jesus. And when it's real, they're going to see that, and it's going to have an effect on them. Tim Kimmel, who's a writer from Desiring God, says this, the transforming impact of God's grace happens best in our children when it happens deeply in us first. And so moms, are you nurturing your faith? Are you going deeper in the word of God, deeper in your understanding of Jesus so that your joy increases and then that faith will be genuine and it will be real and it will be observed by your children. Now, I want to encourage for a minute the moms in this room who feel like you're doing this alone. Maybe you're a single mom here tonight, or maybe you're not a single mom, but you are raising your children without a godly husband. And here's what I want to say to you. Take heart in these verses tonight. You see, Timothy's dad was not a believer. We see that in the book of Acts. But Timothy, because of a faithful mother, came to Christ and went on to do incredible things for him. Now, single girls, I have a word for you. This is not an excuse for you to go marry a man who doesn't love Jesus. Find a man who loves Jesus more than he loves you, and you will spare yourself much heartache. But for those of you in the room who already find yourself in that kind of situation tonight, do not think for one minute that your child has less potential in Christ than those who are being raised by two godly parents. Two godly parents is an incredible blessing. But look at what God can do through the lives of a faithful mother. Moms, all of us, we may not win awards for the best pie or always have the perfect house or your kids may not get a full scholarship to Yale, but... If you can teach them and display for them the worth of Jesus, then though imperfect, you are walking out the calling of what it means to be 
a good mom. My bottom line for us tonight is this. A good mom is one who teaches and displays the infinite worth of Jesus. More than anything that my children can say about me, my hope is that they will one day say, my mom really loved Jesus and wanted us to know and love him too. That's Christ's exalting mothering. It's not about being super mom. It's about showing and teaching them the most important thing that they could ever hear. That's what I could say about my own mom. Like my mom is a mom who does things with excellence and with class. Um, neatest house I've ever seen in my entire life. Come to my house, my pile of laundry is so big I could lose my children in it. But I think I'm a good mom because they have fun because they jump from like the fifth stair onto the pile and they don't get hurt. My mom has the cleanest house. My brother was visiting from Virginia last week. He dropped a french fry on the floor. He went up and went to eat it, right? And my mom said, are you going to eat that? And he's like, mom, we can all sit on your floor and eat dinner. It is so clean. But at the end of the day, you know what stands out about her more than anything else? It's none of those things. Now I'm saying don't neglect those things. Do those things. But they're not the ultimate point of our mothering. At the end of the day, what I could say is that she made Jesus her treasure, and she made that known. My mother-in-law is coming up. This will see if I could do this. About a year since she passed away. I almost didn't do this, but I'm going to do it. Remember Landon going to kindergarten? I'm emotional. In her last days of life, last weeks, she couldn't get out of bed. She couldn't serve her family. She couldn't cook the meals. She couldn't even go on a walk with them. Her son had to carry her. But you know what? She never stopped being a good mom. Because until she took her last breath, she continued to display the worth of Jesus. A good mom is one who displays, teaches and displays the infinite worth of Christ. There is an incredible potential that you and I have as mothers to influence our kids, our children, whether they're two or they're grown adults, to live a life for Christ. And if that sounds overwhelming to you, and if that makes you feel weak in yourselves to do that as much as it does me, then that is a good place for us to be. Because in our weakness, he is strong. We need him. We cannot be Christ-exalting mothers without Christ enabling us. For you moms here in the room tonight who you just are feeling tired or burnt out or discouraged, he's able to sustain you. He's able to help you and encourage you and see that all the things that you're doing, they're not in vain. I want to encourage the moms in the room who have heavy hearts because your children have not yet come to Christ. Don't lose hope. And don't give up. Surrender your kids to Jesus and just keep praying and trusting him. Moms, we will never do this perfectly. There is no perfect mom. There is no super mom. People may put out that persona in picture, but they don't exist. And this is why it is so important that we are teaching our children about grace and teaching them that not only do they need a savior, but we need a savior. See, I want my kids to know that I'm imperfect. I want them to know that I struggle and I mess up and I fail. Because you know why? 
is because his undeserving grace in my life is some of the greatest joy that I have in him. And I think that we do our children a disservice if we try to put out the picture to them that we have it all together. You know, there are going to be conversations with my kids one day where I sit them down and I tell them some of the regrets that I have in my life so that I could teach them about grace, so that I could show them what Jesus can do in the life of a sinful, fallen person. Now, to speak to you in the room tonight, who this message has been difficult because you don't have a godly mom or you don't have a mom who has been a loving, compassionate mother to you. Or maybe you're the mom, like I said, or you're unable to have children. And what I want to say to you is that as wonderful and amazing as a good mom is, there is something that is much, much more wonderful. There is an incredible verse found in Isaiah 49. Every time I read this, it blows my mind. And it says this, Can a woman forget her nursing child, that she should have no compassion on the son of her womb? Even these may forget, yet I will not forget you. Behold, I have engraved you on the palm of my hands. If a mother has forgotten you or not shown you compassion, if you have a void in your life because of a mother or because of you not being able to be a mother, I'm here to tell you tonight that Christ is sufficient, that he is able to fill every single void that is in your heart and is in your life. He is able to heal the wounds of your heart and replace those wounds with joy that can only be found in him. The engraving of his hands in that verse, those are his nailed, scarred hands from the, his blood that was shed for us. And he loves us with a love that we will never be able to fathom, never be able to understand. If you're here tonight and you don't know that kind of love, it's available to you. And he's reaching his arms out to you tonight. And it's not about what you do it's about what he has done for you in your place. He came, he lived a perfect life, and he died in our place as us and for us so that we can know God, so that we can have the joy and the satisfaction of knowing someone whose worth is beyond what my words are able to say and express tonight. Romans 10, 13 says, everyone who calls in the name of the Lord will be saved. And so if you are here tonight and you don't yet know God, call on his name. There's no other name by which we must be saved. It's only found in Jesus. One last word to moms. Some of you are beating yourselves up over different ways that you feel like you failed as a mom. Maybe it's because you weren't able to do this or because you feel like you didn't do this well enough. Rest in his grace tonight. Know that there is no perfect mom, but we have a perfect God. And we're a good mom when we are able to teach and display his infinite worth. Let's, by the grace of God, live our lives in a way that shows our children that shows our families, our husbands, all of you, that shows 
everyone around you the infinite worth of the one who has saved you. Let's pray. Dear God, we thank you for your word, Lord, that, that brings life to us and that brings hope to us. And I just pray for anyone in this room tonight who is feeling discouraged, that you would encourage their hearts tonight, that they won't walk out of here tonight without seeing and experiencing you. And we pray that you would do great things in the lives of moms in this room, that you would lift burdens off of them, and that you would refresh their faith and their joy in you to be the kind of moms that you've called us to be. I thank you that there is nothing that you call us to be that you don't enable us by your grace and your strength to do it. We are so moved by your love and your grace for undeserving people here tonight. And we just want to respond to you now with worship and praise. You are beyond what our words can say. We love you, we praise you, and we adore you in this room. In Jesus' name, amen.